Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an ABC podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. And what better way to spend the first day in weeks without footy than to catch up with your friends and talk about the footy. Stockholm Syndrome, it's real, folks. Before we get going, let's say hello to a couple of my Sanctum sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. It's Shelley Ware. And hello, everyone. It's Kate Sear. Kate, are you footied out or are you are you sad that the footy festival is over? <laughs> I I'm sad that the footy festival's over. I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs. I didn't think it was possible. When we were told that there was going to be 20 days of footy, I thought it would be a bit much, but now I'm a bit yeah, I'm a bit I'm itching for it to come back. Shelly, what about you? No, I'm happy the footy festival's over. Not my kind of style. <laughs> it is relentless. I had to um I I think there should be a genuine prize like a ham or whatever you give away in radio, but to someone who watched every single game because I tried and I and I would watch any game, be it whatever the standard, but I, I did fall asleep a number of nights where I just couldn't really handle it. I thought, you know what, the second game every night, I can't really do it. Um, we did just come to the end of a round, even though rounds are meaningless, but one thing I really loved seeing for me was St Kilda get their groove back. I'm a really big St Kilda family connection. I love that team and I really hated seeing them play beneath their what they've been capable of all year against the Cats the other week. So I was thrilled to see them up and about. And I was also still pretty impressed with the Cats and the Eagles. And a couple of weeks ago they had a cracking game. And I do think if that's a bit of a finals preview, that game from a couple of weeks ago, then we're in for a bit of luck, Kate. I think this is this is difficult for me to say being a Hawthorne fan, but I do also want to credit the Cats. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a first on this podcast that I've ever said anything positive about Geelong. So it's only taken me five years, but we've finally (laughs) got there. But you know, they're they're playing really well and they have systematically dismantled and demolished a couple of really good teams over the last, I don't know, (laughs) I want to say couple of rounds. I don't know, all the rounds mould into one another at the moment but yeah they've been so impressive they they beat St Kilda and then Port who are both you know highly fancied teams each of them by 10 goals and what was interesting was that Geelong have now got the best percentage in the competition uh the most points for and in the last three weeks they've scored more than 90 points on each occasion which is actually I went back and looked at all of the rounds there's only been 24 occasions that any team has scored 90 points or above and Geelong has scored 90 points or above about five of those times. So they're, they're, they're really doing well in their building and I think they're super impressive. It is interesting because they've got that uncanny thing where they can shut down the fast teams. They did it to Brisbane, 
Port and St Kilda, Geelong have shut them down, but they haven't done that shut down thing and then not scored. You know, that Tom Hawkins is kicking a bag. A bag? Is that what we're saying? Is it a bag? It's It's a bag of goals and he's built, like, the way that young man goes to the ball has just caused so many problems for so many teams. It's just been brilliant to watch. Absolutely. Shelley, what else have you, what's what's caught your eye? What's caught my eye? Well, you know, I know we're going to talk about Jack Noon's goal, so I won't go on about that. <laughs> that is actually what caught my eye. So <laughs> a lot of celebrations about that in our home, and we'll talk a little bit about that more. But I think it's just been that this is the footy festival, even though I did say that it was too much for me because, you know, I was starting to stray to other rooms to do other things. I've loved how it's brought community together with people. I felt that, you know, it it brought us a sense just to tune off for what's happening with COVID and everybody get together and be a part of a football community and that has been a joy. So that's what has caught my eye, just coming towards the end of it. And that I've loved and I think we'll miss that, but, you know, now we're going to get into the Sir Doug Nichols round, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, why don't we talk about that Jack Neems goal? Just quickly off the top, I'm not a Carlton fan. I was actually secretly barracking for Frio, even though I love you and I adore, you know, <laughs> people in our lives but I just have really liked Frio and I was screaming in my house and that was so fun that was the best thing that's really happened in lockdown for a long time just to have a wild combination of yelling at this cameraman yelling at the plastic chair yelling at (laughs) thinking they're Frio fans they don't want Jack Newman to kick the goal and it was just wild and for him to have such remarkable and weird build-up, and then to just, like, ice the kick. I just thought, what an incredible moment. And now he's a hero. Yeah, and and I loved his confidence, his whole, the whole entire time he knew he could do it, get out of my way, move your chair, move your cords, I'm coming through, I've got to go to kick, and he just knew he could. And one of the greatest moments from that also is the cameraman that he actually had to move took one of the greatest photos of it with him having a look at the photo at the goal to see if it's going to go through and Eddie already knowing the goal's going to go through and his face lit up like a Christmas tree. So it was just a magic moment for drama and it gave everybody the lift they needed, so much joy. And we got to talk about it with controversy, but the joy was the best bit. I agree. I mean, not not satisfying for Frio fans, but I have to say my partner had fallen asleep on the couch and my dog was asleep on the couch and both of them <laughs> woke up in a panic because I was also just at screaming my head off because it was so exciting. And I agree with you, Shelley. The, the thing that impressed me most was his confidence. You know, I actually was thinking at that time, it felt like it dragged on for ages where he was trying to get the cameraman to move, trying to get the security guard to move, trying to move the plastic chair and the cords and everything else that was in his way. I thought I was thinking to myself, my God, he must be so rattled. Like he's got all these things to contend with and so on. But it was actually the opposite in hindsight. Mm. You think like he was just like, as you say, get out of my way. I'm ready to I'm ready to roll. And I think there's been a lot of discussion in recent days about whether it's like the greatest ever kick after the siren to win a game. I reckon it's gotta be pretty damn uh, close because it was yeah. just um phenomenal. And of course, against Frio at home with a very vocal home crowd booing him, lots of people in his up in his grill yelling out. It's just so impressive. I loved it. I loved everything about it. And the, and the good thing is that it's the first time that Carlton have won, and I think it it's been since 1987, and it was after the siren that sticks versus North at Waverley Park, and that was 33 years ago. So that's the first time that Carlton have won a game like that in 33 years. 
Yeah, and just on that 1987 stat that you mentioned, Shelley, our listener Matt Thomas tweeted us with an omen watch and said that the last time a Carlton player kicked a goal after the siren to win a game was in 1987. And guess who went on to win the flag that year? Carlton. Carlton. So here we are. I love omen watch. Carlton flag. Block out. <laughs> September, October, November, whenever the grand final's going to be. It's all yours, baby. <laughs> well, it's funny that you should say that because my husband only said today, we're getting the um, Indigenous jumper mailed to us and he said today, I'm going to wear that to the grand final. Actually, I might wear yours or I might wear that. I- I'm not sure which one I'm going to wear to the grand final. <laughs> it's all happening in our house, the belief. Have you got any commentary watch for us? Yeah, this is... um. A couple of weeks ago, we have obviously we had last week off. We had we had oh well we had a, you know a, a week off of sorts. Although if you didn't catch up on the pod, please do. Lucy Race gave a very beautiful um, reading of a short story for us. But a couple of weeks ago, we received a tweet from one of our listeners, Glenn, and he wrote in to say, and I'll read it to you. He said, "Do bows in Australia have more than one string?" TV keeps telling me that certain players are, quote, adding another string to his bow. But wouldn't it be better to add arrows to your quiver, he asked. And I thought that was a good pickup. But Tess, I know that you had a different view, that you interpreted that phrase about adding another string to your bow a bit differently, right? What people probably do not know about me is that I had a very short career in year seven and eight as a violinist, of course, and I was terrible. And once I worked out that it was quite difficult to learn how to play Pachelbel's Canon, like immediately, I kind of just gave it up and went to guitar instead. But I always have heard when people say add a string to your bow that it's adding a string to your bow as in when you play violin, that you have multiple strings and so therefore it would sound more beautiful if you have so many strings and you're playing Violin. Why? Am I wrong? I've always admitted that. I've, I've always thought it was that. Are, are we wrong, Kate? Well, I know that because there was this conjecture about what the true meaning of the phrase was, I thought I'd go and look it up and see if we could work out okay. where it comes from. Love it. <laughs> so I did find a forum where this had been debated at length, not within a footy context, but just sort of in a broader context. And uh, somebody called Tom had done a very good job of collating all of the different ideas about where that phrase comes from. Um, it apparently dates back to the mid-15th century. According to uh, Christine, someone called Christine Ammer, who wrote a book called The Facts on File Dictionary of Clichés, it means essentially that there is more than one way to reach one's goal. So that's that's what she says is the meaning. But in, I'm going to read to you from a, le- uh, from a letter that was written by Queen Elizabeth, of all people, in 1585, and she wrote to James VI, and this is what she wrote. This is one of the earliest uses of the phrase. She said, I am well pleased to take any colour. I think this is is the accent. I think think this is the way. I am well pleased to take any colour to defend your honour and hope that you will remember that who seeketh two strings to one bow, they may shoot strong but never straight. And if you suppose that princes' causes be veiled so covertly covertly that no intelligence can bewray them, deceive not yourself. We old foxes can find shifts to save ourselves by others' malice and come by knowledge of greatest secret, especially if it touch our freehold. So... <laughs> Apparently, what uh, according to this website that I was reading about, the belief is that it means that a double motive may impel the arrow all the more strongly 
but less straightly. So I think when I've put all of that together, I think really what it means, I think what Queen Elizabeth was portending is the dangers of having to have trying to have more than one string to one's bow so that if you try to learn to kick on the left foot and the right foot, you're bound to kick less straightly. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the upshot. Does that sound right? Wow. According to the Queen. According to Queen Queen Lizzie from 1585. I'll take Lizzie's word for it and I am. I'll put my violin back in the case. <laughs> Not worry about it. Um, Kate, I'm going to steal a bit of your thunder for a moment, but we've had an omen watch from a listener, which is always very exciting. And people can always get in touch with us because this is where the joy comes from, like strings to the bow. This is from Anton, and Anton is a Crows fan who sends a delightful email to me. And he said, you retweeted this stat from Swamp, which is Sir Swamp Thing on Twitter. If you don't already follow him, you should indicating that apparently players who are Leos have a higher winning percentage in the history of VFL-AFL than players of any other star sign. This was around the time Adelaide played its first game for the season with spectators at Adelaide Oval and lost to St Kilda. I had a look in the record and imagined my shock when I discovered that we did not lose because we are just not very good at the moment. There are only two Leos in Adelaide's lists, while St Kilda has six and also has someone called Leo, Leo Connolly. Now, he's gone through all of the teams, which I will get us to tweet out a little later, but you can see who's got the most Leos. And it, I'm not going to lie, the story checks out. The top of the ladder is Geelong. Geelong have the most Leos. They've got nine. Geelong are killing it at the moment. Yeah. Have four Leos, but they're doing, you know, quite well. But then he also put points out that they're the Lions. So maybe, therefore, they have extra, like, Leo vibes. Gold Coast have seven. They're doing quite well. Port Adelaide have six. They're doing well. St Kilda. The lower teams, North Melbourne, they've only got one Leo. They're struggling. Mm. Collingwood, they're going no good, two Leos. And Adelaide, no Leo. So I think that that totally checks out. I, I does say that Richmond don't have a lot of Leos, but... We're just really good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, Anton, let us know that the SANFLW Grand Final is happening this Sunday, which is so exciting and also um, fills me with just total jealousy to think about going to watch women play football at the moment with other people. It's North Adelaide who are the Roosters. They've had an undefeated season. They've been twice runner-up. And South Adelaide, the Panthers, are looking to win their third flag in a row that's an impressive effort for a club whose men's side hasn't won a premiership since 1964. So you go South Adelaide women's team, but you also get to see players like Anne Hatchard, who's been playing and mm. um, had a So check that out on Sunday. It's coming your way and I'm just beside myself with oh. jealousy about it. But for now, should we mellow, ladies? Sure. Sure. So the Festival of Footy has come to an end for like a week until um, we get footy pretty much every day again in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, and 2020 has been a pretty wild year, but, uh, as you know, as they say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that is footy fans being left out of big decisions and feeling like big changes are going to happen to the game you love without our involvement at all. Now, AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin had a chat with our friends on ABC Radio Melbourne, Catherine Murphy and Sammy Jay, a week or so ago and said essentially that they are looking to have a, a footy festival every day of the week in 2021 because it was so they were so surprised by the agility of clubs and players to be able to make it work. They're quite keen to do it again. Now, before I go to my actual gripe, I'll make two points. The first point is that there is just like 
no way of knowing that 2021 is not going to be a disrupted season. And I, I do think that's important to note that you have to plan that something that the world doesn't get back to normal on January 1 and that's when the pandemic ends and, you know, we'll carry on back to round one through a million. So I guess it's good to actually plan for that and also to acknowledge that there isn't probably any normal. And also I'd like to put out there, I'd actually love a mini footy festival next year in the middle of the boring rounds, like in the buy rounds, in the middle of the year where I'm like, oh, it's really cold, it's really boring. And so in the middle of the year, have a buy at the start, a buy at the end, and then just whack out a few of those rounds, like go to woe. I think that would be awesome. But regardless... Why don't fans get to feel like they're part of the decision? If this year has taught us anything at all, it's that essentially footy is completely meaningless without the fans being there. Before we had crowds at the footy, it was boring. The actual quality of the game wasn't as good when people were playing in front of no crowds. It has been so meaningful to get the season back on track. They've moved the football so that it gets to be in front of fans. But still when big decisions are made, there's no involvement. And I know there's the AFL Fans Association and they might be consulted, but surely there's a way of us coming up with a bringing you with us kind of leadership. And this is how I feel about the grand final as well. I actually have long been a keynote to keep it in the day. and I, But I don't, I don't think I'd stop watching football if it went to nighttime. I'd just get over it. But I do feel like it's always annoying when decisions are made without you. And the CEO of the time gets to decide the legacy when really they're the custodian of the game and they come and go and you stay forever as a fan and so I just feel like just push through this you know oh we're looking at it and maybe you'll find out and maybe you won't find out maybe fans will love it and so bring us with you on the decision making and make people feel like the game belongs to them am I carrying on no you're not carrying on and I did see a tweet from the AFL Fans Association actually asking if that's what people wanted and there was a mixed and, you know, like they said that they have a good sense of feeling about what the fans want for this footy festival. And I had put in my two cents that I wasn't a massive fan of it but totally understood why we were doing it. Like I have a very clear understanding of what's going on. Um, and they they sort of implied that they don't get asked by the AFL about their opinion. So, you know, that's disappointing because they have they have great data on what the fans want. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to be naive about about this either because I know that in the contemporary environment, decisions that are made by the AFL are often driven by things like the considerations and concerns of the broadcaster. Or, you know, when we've been we're especially talking about this this year, where the grand final will be held, it's driven by contractual considerations and the concerns of government, for instance, not the concerns and interests of fans, including the interests of fans who are in Queensland and South Australia and WA who are keeping our game going. <laughs> but I couldn't agree more. Like, And despite the fact that, you know, I don't want to be naive about the importance of the broadcasters and the broadcasters' interests and those sorts of things, the fans are the custodians of the game. The game doesn't exist without us and without our buy-in. And I think uh, all of these big decisions do need to have fan involvement because these kinds of decisions can actually ultimately drive people away from the game if they feel really uh, disgruntled, disen- disenfranchised, abandoned and, and so on. And so I'm with you, Tess. I think you're right. It just got me thinking. I was like, I just love, I just, I'm a big vocal person. Just give me a call, Gillen. I'm always available. <laughs> you want to ask me my thoughts about it. Um, another group of people that weren't necessarily catered for this week, Kate's here, 
are women with what happened this week? Oh, look, I do have to have a bit of a, a whinge about this because two things, uh, two stories caught my eye and in my mind they're both connected even though they're very different. Um, so the first story was that the Herald Sun ran a poll asking members of the public to vote on who they thought was the AFL's most powerful WAG. Uh, which, of course, is that horrible acronym that stands for uh, wives and girlfriends. And purportedly, uh, in a follow-up story, the, the Herald Sun that they, you know, that wags are of interest because they add value to the AFL. That was the language used. Um, what was interesting is that this poll included the partners of current and former footballers, so women like Beck Jard and Megan Gale, um, who are apparently for some reason forever doomed to be characterised using an acronym rather than uh, referred to as actual people who have real lives and lives that extend beyond footy. So Megan Gale, who is, um, among other things, an actress and a supermodel and a mother, a woman whose career far predates her relationship with uh, a certain footballer, was referred to as, and this is the quote they used to describe her, they said, she is a brand and a brain. Um, Beck Judd was referred to as the undoubted queen of the wags. And I just want to mention a couple of the other women who were in here. Abby Holmes, who was actually, of course, an AFLW player herself, uh, was included in there. So was Sophie Kachia, who, and I'll quote, meets the criteria because she was previously married to someone who played a few games for Carlton back in 2013. Um, Now, among other things, this article, why it's so problematic is that you just have to look at the comments section and the discussion online. So much derision was uh, pointed towards the women. The women the women were criticised for being sort of self-centred and egotistical and wanting to be in. And those women, of course, had never, those wives or girlfriends or whatever, partners, people, humans, had never asked to be uh, listed in this poll. And, and I'm sure many of them think of themselves as something other than just wives mm. and girlfriends of footballers and former footballers. Now, I know some people will say, well, these sorts of things are just a bit of harmless fun, but also they are the wives and girlfriends of players. And the problem is that the the men are centred in this description and in these debates. And the proof of that is that I would ask you both and I'd ask our listeners to, to reflect on this. Who are the partners? Can you name the partners of Abby Holmes or Sophie Kachia, in Sophie's case, her former partner? I actually would admit, like, I'm not a big, you know, celebrity gossip person, so maybe it's just me, but I don't know who they, I didn't know who their partners were. I couldn't name them. And even if you can name their partners, I ask you, like, why is it that Abby Holmes, for instance, is being positioned as the partner of someone rather than uh, her partner, who I must admit is not a big name player, is not positioned as the, the husband or the partner of Abby Holmes, AFLW player and star in her own right. So that story, I just think, repeats so many problematic tropes and it really exposes partners to just all this vitriol which I think is so unhelpful in this day and age and the second story which is quite different (laughs) I feel like I'm really getting my run on now (laughs) but the second story was um, something I saw in the age from Daniel Cherney who reported this week that Richmond had implemented what was described as a novel measure to prevent their players from giving away 50 metre penalties. And that novel measure was that if you give away a 50, you will have to change the nappy of Trent Cotchen's son, Parker. Now, apparently the idea came from Trent Cotchen himself, who, of course, is the captain of um, Richmond. So obviously he thinks this is a good idea, but I have to say that I I could not 
disagree more. The, the, the notion that it is a form of punishment to have to change a child's nappy, uh, a kind of basic form of care for children in any context is just, I think, really wrong and a terrible mm. message to send. I have to say, again, obviously, you know, this is a decision that Trent Cochin and perhaps his partner made together, but I think it is extre- in extremely poor taste to use your child as a device for team discipline in any setting. I think it's really demeaning. The other thing I have to say about it, though, is that not always, but often, and I think unfortunately, the work of changing nappies and 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 looking after children is considered to be women's work in inver- inverted commas, and it demeans so-called women's work to um, position it as as a thing that you have to do as a form of punishment, a, rather than an essential core task of care that we should value in its own right. And I think both of these stories together, coming in the same week, for me, really different stories about two different things. I found I was infuriated by it because. I thought, when are we going to get to a position where the footballing community and the people who are involved in our game and the people who report on our game treat women and children and women's lives and children's lives as something more than just secondary to men, more than just appendages or add-ons to the game, but as valuable in their own right. And gee, I just, I just think we have a very, very long way to go. It was quite odd on the weekend, really, because we had that conversation and we had Daisy Pierce as part of the commentary team on Channel 7. And of course, they were talking, talking, talking. And then Brian Taylor said to her, oh, well, wouldn't be punishment for you because I know you change a lot of nappies. And so I was like, oh, okay. And then on Fox footy during the Richmond game, it was actually Jordan Lewis who was doing special comments. And I was so relieved because they, someone else made an offhand comment and he said, it's not really punishment. I do it all the time, you know. And so he kind of just dismissed it in an offhand way, which was delightful. And it reminded me of just how important it is to have different types of people in the commentary box because if someone says it and dismisses it or just goes oh whatever like you know moves on you at home feel like your your personal view I think I don't feel like an alien like thank you for saying that on the actual coverage um, but we have seen a lot recently where the actual media around footy aren't often having the same conversation as the people at home and we saw that with the Marbia Chole conversation last week where a lot of people in football were genuinely shocked to find out that was seen as you know, in an, an inappropriate thing to do. A lot of people say, well, it happens at local footy all the time. Like, That's not a good thing, right? And I was so surprised and actually quite relieved how many people were just immediately able to say no that's not on and just reminded of how we've got a fair way to go until that conversation is at the center of our football coverage and that we're able to say things in football coverage without, without feeling like if you say it you'll be cast out of the club which is essentially what that is. They don't want to disagree with one another because then you don't get the gig. Well, I agree. It's it's about getting those diverse people in those media boxes and in those places of work so that people can come in with different lived experiences and be a part of it. But it goes right back to that whole when, you know, you hear men saying, I can't go out because I'm babysitting my kids, you know, and it's just like, come on, you're not babysitting the kids, you're their father. You know, and it's all about, Kate, you say it a lot of times and it just stays with me, that language does matter. And in this case, it's exactly what's going on. Like, it's not good enough. Another story I just didn't think was good enough, Shelley, and I genuinely feel embarrassed that I didn't know about this. During the week, it became very clear that this weekend during the Doug Nichols round, which is by far the best round of football for the year, we will not see the Aboriginal flag front and centre of the Indigenous round. Now, Shelley Ware, can you help us understand why that is the case? Okay, so I'll give you a quick little history lesson. So Harold Thomas designed the flag in 1971 and he handed over the rights 
for $20,000 and royalties to a non-Indigenous company called Wham Clothing a few years ago. So they now own the exclusive rights because he has the copyright rights to the flag. So anyone who's using the flag is essentially sending a percentage of that money is going to Wham. So make sure you ask if that's happening, if you do purchase anything. And then, of course, it's your choice. Now, the AFL has gotten behind the Indigenous community and they are not going to pay the royalties to Wham. So we won't see it during the Sir Doug Nichols round, which makes me feel really sad that we're in this situation with the flag and really mad also that, you know, really grateful to the AFL for standing behind the Indigenous community. We believe that the flag, it should be for free for the people. There are so many people that are so proud of it and so connected to this flag. So this leads me to the work of Laura and her team at Clothing the Gap. Now, they have a petition and they have been working wonderfully around um, the Free the Flag campaign and have actually gone to Parliament and asked that they buy the rights of the company. When you find out that it was for $20,000, wouldn't you agree that I, I would have like Kate said, hand the tin around. Let's get the tin around. We could have done that and it could have been free to people. But what's great is that Eddie Betts and Neville Jedder are on board with the clothing, the gap, the petition and the campaign and they are going to, they've actually extended the invite to all the clubs and Melbourne and St Kilda have shown some interest in wearing a Free the Flag T-shirt as their warm-up T-shirt this weekend during the Sir Doug Nichols round. So we're waiting to hear back today. So hopefully we get some good news because, as we know, it's really hard with COVID to get T-shirts from Melbourne to all of these states that are so far away. So time is really precious, but it is planting the seed and they've been super supportive today and they've been Laura and her team have been making phone call after phone call and I know Eddie and Neville are right behind it too. And the excellent news is that Collingwood are 100% behind it and already had it in place. So Debbie Lovett, who works at Collingwood, she's absolutely brilliant and she's got a pledge there for the Free the Flag campaign. So check out Clothing the Gap. Make sure you sign their petition. You might find one of their conversation starters. We call them T-shirts, some call them conversation starters. I have too many, but they do get the conversation started, that's for sure. Shelley, can I ask you a quick question? As an Aboriginal woman yourself, what does the Aboriginal flag mean to you? And why why is it so important that it be able to be accessed and freely used by all Australians? It's that sense of connection to your community and the pride of your culture and your history. So when you see that flag, you acknowledge that either you're standing in front of an an Aboriginal person or a non-Aboriginal person that feels connected to Aboriginal culture and is celebrating in the beauty of it. It was designed at a time where we there was it was an actually a competition. So the fact that he's got copyrights from a competition myself makes me feel a little bit funny about it. But that was their choice. And then he went to the Supreme Court. But there were a lot of protests going around about Aboriginal rights. So it was needed. Aboriginal people needed something to connect us with it. And that's what we got. You know, even when we just see the colours, you know, woven in someone's hair or, you know, like flying, you know, the three love hearts on, on people's Twitter and social media, it's it just brings a sense of pride and connection, Kate. No, very important. And and I must admit, Tess, like you, that I was naive about the history of the flag and um, and this controversy. And um, and one of the great benefits, I suppose, of of sport in general is that we many more of us have learned about this controversy this week and the importance of freeing the flag. And so, um, 
you know, in that sense, I think the Sir Doug Nichols round, which is always a very positive and joyous uh, occasion, has done done a great service for our community because it's helped to bring our attention to this really vital issue. And every team that we see warming up in those T-shirts this weekend will be a whole new conversation in another, in another house who Googles throw the flag and finds out about that. And that is beyond important to give an issue like this the platform that it deserves and also to use this round as a chance to learn and educate about current issues. I mean, we've just gone through an, a, a serious global mo- movement where we talk about Black Lives Matters and what and all of the things that are related to that. Yeah, it's been absolutely eye-opening. And also if people uh, want to have a look, we retweeted from the Outer Sanctum a thread from Nova Paris uh, last night that has a lot of information, a lot of the history that Shelley just talked to you about, um, all in the same place. And so if, if you want to start there, that's a pretty good place to start. So while I've been busy watching like 150 games of football a day, our actual learned colleagues, Julia and Lucy, have been watching the AFLW trade week like Hawks and Blues and bringing us all of the latest. So take it away, ladies. The AFLW trade period has wrapped up and I thought it would be great to have a quick chat with Julia Kiera and get her thoughts on some of the moves. Hey, Julia, how are you? I'm great. I've it's been an exciting time seeing all the moves that have been made between the clubs. Well, it's a funny time, isn't it? Because, you know, there's been, you know, a number of clubs where it's been fairly settled and then there's been some clubs that have had some massive changes. Which mm. clubs do you think have really strengthened their list? Yeah, look, I think that Collingwood have have done really well this year. They've brought in Abby Green, who was a kind of third to fourth in line ruck at North Melbourne, which strengthens their ruck stocks with Shani Layton. They've brought in Alicia Newman, who's a really, who's just a really exciting, fast goal sneak of a player from Melbourne. And then they've got some really important draft picks as well. So that puts them in a really good position coming into the next draft year that they can pick up some young talent. Everyone's saying that this draft year is a really strong draft. That's compromised a little bit because we don't see any of the Vic talent, you know, playing in NAB League or getting their few games of VFLW. But, you know, hopefully that that does pan out. They've lost Sarah Darcy and Sarah Dargan to Richmond, but I think that what they're going to hopefully pick up in young talent will make up for that. The other team I think that have done pretty well to hold on to everyone that, you know, makes up their core group and add a bit more is North Melbourne. They've brought in Grace Campbell from Richmond, who was one of Richmond's really bright sparks. I'm surprised Richmond have let her go, but I guess, you know, you don't know what's happened, but what happens behind closed doors and and how those conversations are made up. They've brought in, again, a few more draft picks. Jess Trends moved across to Frio and Abby Green's left, as I've mentioned, but they also get Jess Duffin back from the medical condition called pregnancy. So, um, you know, that might not sound that very dramatic but north was such a strong team anyway and so they've just trimmed a little bit um and they'll get some really exciting talent in so i think they'll be in good stead as well one of the clubs that has is going to look very different next year is melbourne and i wonder what you make of the exodus from that club interesting isn't it like they've they've got an idea of what they wanted to do they they feel like they're in a premiership window um, they wanted to hold on to quite a few players, but give themselves a really strong draft position, put themselves in a strong d- draft position. But they've they've let go Alicia Newman, as I've mentioned. Harriet Cordner, who I feel like was actually kind of the best she's ever been, has gone to Richmond. 
Richmond. Bianca Jacobson's gone to St Kilda. She didn't play this year because of her commitments with the Police Academy. Catherine Smith has gone to GWS. Now, Catherine also didn't play this year. She did at ACL. And then Elise O'Day and Maddie Guerin have gone to Carlton. So they've lost six players, you know, really important players, but they've also now, you know, they've got pick five, which is really pick three in the Victorian draft. So in terms of the Victorian draft, they've got pick three, nine and 11. Um, and Todd Patterson's given an interview where he's, he's said that the, this is the, the plan that they've gone with, you know, that they, they want to really draft heavily and they want to draft picks. So that's what they've gone with. They, they're worried a bit about exp- expansion in the next few years and that they won't um, get an opportunity to draft quality players. So they've gone with it now. It's a huge gamble, though, what they've done. I think I can see the logic to it. I, I'm surprised the logic didn't change because of COVID and because of the fact that you're not getting to see so much of the Victorian talent top end the 18-year-olds this year. So you're going to have to draft so many players based on their form a year prior. So it's interesting. <laughs> you know, they, they could turn out to look like geniuses or like they've, they've kind of gutted the club for a speculation so we'll we'll see what are your thoughts how's your um heart beating true (laughs) oh look it's been tough like it's you know they're names that mean a lot to me all of those players Mm. and it's um i guess that thing where you just trust in your club i suppose but yeah i'm going to find it very hard to watch some of those players in other jumpers, particularly Elise O'Day, who I've got a massive soft spot for. I just, um, I think she's a fabulous player and I wish her all the well, all the best, but um, hard to see her go. I'm wondering what you um, think about, you know, say some of the clubs that struggled last year, especially the new clubs, which ones do you think did really well through the trade period? Look, I think Richmond have been really active, which they absolutely needed to be. They've brought in Sarah Hosking from Carlton, who I think is a big loss from Carlton. She is probably at her best, the best we've ever seen her. And now she's come, she's moving over to Richmond. They've brought in Sarah Darcy, who I have always rated um, as a very skillful player. They brought in Sarah Dargan, who's, you know, uh, on the up as a midfielder. Harriet Cordner, as we've already mentioned, they've got pick 43, but they've let go Grace Campbell. So the thing with Richmond is uh, this is what they needed to do. They needed to get in more AFLW quality players. They haven't got in an quote-unquote A-grader, these are the types of players they should have targeted last year, I think. I think that they're kind of a year behind now in their list build, but this is what they needed to do. And they've got pick one in the draft, so um, hopefully they can get a superstar with that. Mm. Yeah, West Coast have done a few things. They've brought in Ashley McCarthy from Western Bulldogs. Um, She'll bring some pace and some class, slightly shorter flight home for her to Ireland. Um, And Taylor Bresland. They've had a few retirees. They've got high draft picks, but again, they're, they're really just going to be getting people from West Coast, from Western Australia, excuse me. So they've done okay. Um, it's you know they've got to either get local talent in, poach someone from Frio, or try and get someone over from Victoria. So they're always up against it in draft period to make any huge moves. And St Kilda bringing in Jade Van Dyke and Bianca Jacobson, they seem like great selections. Yes, and Kilda have been very active. I love Jade Van Dyke. She didn't get to play this year because of an ankle injury, but she's a very talented defender. And Bianca Jacobson as an intercept 
marking defender as well. So I think that they're, yeah, they've done pretty well. They have lost a bit in that just, I want to say sedentary, but sedentary (laughs) (laughs) has gone back to Adelaide. And Alison Drennan is actually a big loss. She's gone up to Gold Coast. She's a pretty classy midfielder. So that's a, I think that's a significant loss. The reporting said she wanted to move to Queensland. So yeah, it's hard to stop that. They've got in some some draft picks. They've done a bit of delisting as well. And Emma Mackey's retired. Courtney Munn has retired, which is a bit of a surprise. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Courtney Munn kicking four goals in her first game for North Melbourne and then came over to St Kilda. Um, but there's actually quite a few. If you, if you sift through... Um, the players that have retired there's quite a few players in their very early 20s that have retired already which is an interesting footnote to this whole thing and AFRW the part-time nature what's happening now I'm not surprised to be honest and especially if you read it in conjunction with um the piece that um Beck Beeson wrote for the Guardian Mm. about the extra challenges um it kind of makes sense Clubs like Fremantle and Carlton, who were just flying high before the season was cut short this year, seem to have just shored up their list quite nicely. What do you think about that? Well, Frio's shored it up, I think, better than Carlton. Frio have re-signed 26 of their players. That We know they had a very strong year this year. They've brought over Jess Trend, who adds a bit of run and carry to them. They've picked up Tani Tester, who was delisted from West Coast, and they've signed her straight away. Look, the, the best thing Frio can do is keep their band together, um, keep the poachers from West Coast away um, so that they can just keep building. So I think that, that you know, they'll be a, continue to be a powerhouse um, next season. Carlton have, yep, they've kept a lot of their players. They've managed to sign lots of players, including Maddie Prisparkas, on two-year deals, which is really good for them. They've brought in Charlotte Hammonds from Gold Coast, who's a really talented youngster, Elise O'Day that we've mentioned, and Maddie Guerin. They've lost Sarah Hosking, Jay Van Dyke, and we've found out recently that Chloe Dalton will sit out 2021 as she is uh, on her Olympic quest to Tokyo with uh, Rugby Sevens. So that's a big loss. Chloe's a fantastic player, second in their best and fairest this year. So yes, Carlton have done pretty well, but they've still lost a bit in um, Hosking, Dalton and Jay Bandai. Mm. Which trade really caught your eye? What do you think is a really good one, really interesting one? Oh, look, North Melbourne have done well to get Grace Campbell out of Richmond. You know, their midfield is really shockingly talented. (laughs) So adding her in is, you know, just makes them um, even more dynamic and gives them such great depth. One thing that did kind of catch my eye to just see how this unfolds over the next few years is with Geelong. So Geelong weren't particularly active. The only trade they did was to get, was with Melbourne to get a different kind of arrangement of draft picks. Now with Geelong in their first two years, there was a a draft nomination rule where players could nominate Vic Metro or all of Victoria. So it meant that, when they came to the draft, Geelong couldn't pick, you know, they couldn't pick Maddie Press-Barkas, for instance, because Maddie nominated Vic Metro. Now that has expired now. So they can pick whoever they like from Victoria, but the reverse is true in that now all the Victorian teams can now come uh, for, you know, their Geelong-based talent 
that might have otherwise not have seemed so appealing. So we'll see how this unfolds over the next few years in, in whether that strategy is going to work for Geelong, getting, say, someone who lives in Casey, who might be a really talented person, drafting them to Geelong, whether they'll get whether they'll want to stay and then the reverse will be true. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. It's a bit intriguing. That's how they've been active this time around. Well, thanks, Julia. Good to catch up with you and um, always a pleasure to talk AFLW. Yes, always a pleasure. I That's the only footy that's really <laughs> <laughs> I'm Julia Gillard and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. So I haven't watched anything that's not football, as I said, nor have I read anything that's not the champion data explanation of what the pressure gauge is for weeks. And so the fifth quarter is not really for me this week. So Rana and Alicia, two very culture-friendly, savvy people, are going to take it from here. And Rana has prepared a little something-something that really got us going. We're so bored in this house. We're so bored in this house. We're so bored in this house. They said it's footy on a streak, seven days a week. But weekend footy is when it's really at its peak. Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you stuff them with my weekend footy. Gotta say I have my doubts about this midweek footy. Give me a week without a bounce and then some weekend footy. Free Monday for Q&A. Tuesday's hard and less than large. Please no footy on a weekday. No one knows when to recharge. On Wednesday I want to read. Not watch the huddle to see who peed. Give me a drama, give me a laugh. Not a low scoring first half. So much footy it would seem. Feels like a real fever dream. With the commentary from hell. I just want a weekday spell. Or make it queer, make it lean, make it diverse. Where are the queens? I haven't cooked, I haven't cleaned. Because I'm just stuck in front of this screen. We're so bored in this house. We're so bored in this house. We're so bored in this house. Oh my God, that is amazing, Rana. Look, <laughs> they said wet ass pussy, but I heard weekend footy. <laughs> <laughs> weekend players. I get it. The WAP. Yeah. We started fifth quarter because there wasn't football. But I think it's just as relevant because we've had probably too much football now (laughs) after 20 days of non-stop footy. I just, my head is spinning and I need other things in my life now. I love that you've turned into this rapper and you've just got the beats so well. Kudos to Cardi B and Megan because it is hard. I really uh, like underestimated how hard that is. (laughs) (laughs) And I love underneath it's not halls in this house, it's bored in this house. We are so bored in this house. We should talk about WAP or WAP. Oh, please. I have been listening to this on loop for the last few days and I'd love to hear your take on it. I have a few takes, I guess. Even before I saw it and heard it, I thought, oh, God, here we go. I'm not going to love this. Then I watched it and I kind of loved it. From a music point of view, I love the beat. I love the rapping. I think they're both great. I do think that Megan outshines Cardi with the rapping. I didn't bother taking on her part of the rap because it's just so fast and so good. I lo- I also, I think, equally loved just the outrage that came with this song. <laughs> just how much people 
were either confused by it or didn't understand what what was actually going on. And to me, the thing that I guess, like, yes, there's an argument for this is still the commodification of women's bodies and sexuality and it's a very capitalist kind of endeavour. Basically, for people who don't know, it's basically an ode to women's sexuality. They're walking through this house dressed to the nines. There's all these big cats and they're doing the splits. The thing I love about this is with rap and a lot of rap culture, it's always been about men and it's always been about men's sexuality or women's sexuality in service of men. It, you know, every single song has a guy that even women rappers have men who trot out and then gyrate. It's usually the angle and this, there is not one man in sight in this. It is just women dancing and looking fierce and it's a, it's a, it's a very rap thing and I think it's a moment for women in rap. I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, it is the ode to women's sexual empowerment and I just love the way they own it. And yes, all the conservative takes, I've noticed some right-wing commentary speaking and then someone's put it to the actual song and it, it enhances the lyric in such a funny way. It makes them just sound ridiculous and the women sound <laughs> fiercer. I love the bass heavy sample. It's from Frank Ski's Baltimore mm. House Classic, Halls in the House. And I remember hearing that track many years ago. I think it came out in 92 or something. But I hate I hate the word whore. Like it, I really have a problem with that word as far as there's no male equivalent. I've always just had a problem with it. But I love the way they take it and they are just owning it. And, you know, it's 79 times it's put underneath the track. <laughs> and I think 12 they've auto-tuned it or something and it's chipmunk-like. I love that. There's so many takes from, you know, Russell Brand's version of feminism mm. to different takes on it. I think that they're just so bright and brave. But more importantly, it's just a hooky tune that gets you moving. And I've been dancing to it. Right. Same. <laughs> I even dance to my over. I will say I'm impressed with how quickly I could turn something that was so cool into something so lame. <laughs> I think there's a lot of nice kind of call outs to female rappers as well in the film clip with the splits. I think that's like Lil Kim. Yes. Or, or and the hair. There's just some like if, if you kind of you can deep dive into all the respect that's given to people that have come before. I think people think that this is what surprised me about the criticism of this was that it was like it was something new when actually no female rappers have been highly sexual in their work and female sexuality has been front and centre for a lot of women rappers for a long time. It's just the next evolution of it. And I wanted to just elaborate on your point about all the people that this pays respect to and the fact that it just owns female sexuality. There's an amazing article which you've probably read in Bitch Media by Nicole Perkins, an incredible writer and activist. Mm. And she lists all the, the people they pay homage to and also it's a really worthy article that we'll link to but I want to go back into my record collection and put on some Little Kim and you know Missy Missy Elliott Missy Missy Elliott that's right the first time I heard work it I just went oh my god oh my god oh, <laughs> I'm impressed that you 
a reading because I, <laughs> I know my brain is just not wanting to read or do anything. So music has been my saviour a little bit. But I did love that this film clip had a lot of really cool up-and-coming artists. My only frustration was Kylie Jenner. <laughs> I did not want to see Kylie Jenner. <laughs> yeah. It's funny seeing Kylie Jenner because not the biggest fan, but her look and her walk, you're just like, okay, you are 100% in your own body and I appreciate that, but I know what you mean. Yeah. The thing is, I, and I normally watch film clips like this and probably maybe don't feel great about myself because it's always stunning looking women, but I just felt like fist pumping. I just thought... Yeah, and it's not, look, it's, I get it, it's not everybody's sexuality and it's probably not even mine, but it, in the same way that I, <laughs> I'm going to draw maybe a longbow here, in the same way that I watch women playing football and just love watching their bodies move and what they can do and see confidence and strength. Oh, totally. And my sexuality is like a cardigan and a Milo, so... <laughs> I 100% agree with you that seeing other people just enjoy themselves is really what excites me and and just owning it. So, yeah, all body types, all things. So um, I sort of forgave everything about the clip, just even the lyrics and the space where words should be, the suggestiveness of it, I absolutely loved. I've deemed this lockdown 2.0 or 3.0, whatever we're calling it, the horny <laughs> lockdown, because the only thing that has been really getting me through this lockdown is like sexy jams and slow jams, <laughs> because it takes me to a place that other things just can't at the moment. I'm still sore in my head, but if I put on a good sexy track, I'm, <laughs> I'm transported. So. <laughs> I've been watching Hamish and Andy. So we just started one night watching it because we felt like something really light. And it's been so great because not only is it silly and funny and doesn't kind of stretch your brain in any difficult way, but it is like you are on holiday. And all I want to do at the moment is travel. And I would just love to be halfway across the world, but I can't be. And this is just such a nice little escape been a really nice thing to do as a family my five-year-old can watch it too a bit of lightness in all the in all the sadness that we exist amongst oh that you know that's so essential I've been watching better things with Pamela Adlin I don't know if you've seen it it's just so funny Anything with Pamela Adlin or Lake Bell just gets me, I I just laugh a lot. But I've been reading a great poetry book (laughs) uh, with my nose and my cardigan and my Milo. Um, It's a book by Alan Van Nieven uh, called Throat. It's out by University of Queensland Press. And Alan, she's a Munanjali Yugambe writer. It looks at love, language, Oh, it's just a beautiful collection of gutsy, raw poetry. And I, I say this to people who perhaps don't read poetry all the time. Ellen is just such an accessible, vibrant 
you know, meaty writer. Mm. The great thing about poetry too is you can just read a little bit and move out of it, come back. I highly recommend this book. The Horny Lockdown Movement, fifth quarter, boom, we're done. Thanks, Rana. Join me in the Horny Lockdown Movement, everyone. (laughs) Thank you, Rana and Alicia. I feel um, more cultured and cooler and younger than I've ever felt in my entire life. So thank you for that. I'll go back to counting down the days until the second football, as we call it, the second wave of the football festival begins again in a couple of weeks' time. Kate and Shelley, thanks so much for hanging out, talking about the footy with me on a day off from football. Oh, a pleasure. Love it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. We'll be back next week. Remember, rate us, review us, get in touch with us. We're all in lockdown. We're not going anywhere. So the more of you that get in contact with us, the better for all of us. There's only one thing left to say. Go Go footy! footy!